I joke that my role as an artist consultant is a mix of a financial planner, a football coach, and a therapist, mm -hmm. those three things. And mm -hmm. then so with each consult, sometimes it's more football coach, and sometimes it's more therapist, and sometimes it's more financial planner, right? Right. So sometimes with that kind of artist who isn't particularly confident necessarily in what they're doing, it's really just about kind of shaking, shaking them up and lighting a fire and saying, you, if you want this, that's fine, but it's not going to happen until you, until you do X, Y, and Z. Two artists walk into a bar. Now stop me if you've heard this one. Listen in as artists and creators talk over drinks about their work, life, and the creative journey. Hey, welcome back to a whole new season of Two Artists Walk Into a Bar. I'm your host artist, Carol McQuaid. We're kicking things off this year with an interview I know lots of you have been waiting for and I have been super excited to share. Artist consultant, which is not the same as art consultant, but more on that in a minute, and founder of Dazed and Confucius, Penny Lane Shen. Listen in as we tuck into the wine bar at the back of Vancouver's Campagnolo and swap stories. Her path has been a very cool one, and it's given her the tools to help artists all over the globe. She's built an amazing consultancy, and she'll share some of the things that galleries wish they could tell us, some of the common issues she hears artists dealing with, and how best to navigate through them. She'll also give us a glimpse into her busy life, what's happening at Dazed and Confucius, and what she's got up next. You'll find links to all of the things we talk about in the show notes at twoartistswalkintoabar.com. While you're there, make sure to sign up for updates. There'll be a new episode coming out the first Thursday of each month. We've got all kinds of interesting new artist stories lined up to share with you this year, as well as a great collection of past episodes to listen to. If you like an episode, please share it with your arty friends. And if you love an episode, best way to show us is by sending us around. To do that, just click on the martini glass icon on the website. Your support helps keep the show rolling and ad-free. You can follow the show on social media at two, like the number two, two artists podcast. And you can follow me, your host, at Carol McQuaid Art. Now let's head to Campagnolo as Penny Lane and I talk about what artists need to know to survive and thrive in the art world today, the role of art education, and some fun tales from the road. Pretty funny that the first few minutes are her quizzing me about my practice. That's what happens when you interview someone who interviews artists for a living. Bring it on, I say. Here we go. Let's do this. Cheers. What made you decide to start the podcast? The biggest part of it really was... I was doing these artist residencies and things like that, traveling and living communally with artists. And it was sitting around at night mm -hmm. with a glass of wine, as mm -hmm. we are now. These conversations would come out and I would just think, you're so fascinating. I wish every other artist I knew these was stories need hearing. To be told. Yeah, 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 sure. Yeah. And then what really happened after that is last year I had my goals for the year all set. And then I went down to Mexico and ran into a snag. I was going to do this new series and I couldn't get supplies where I was. And I thought, what am what I going to do gonna... with this chunk of time? And then I thought, oh, you're going to substitute this other dream goal that you had Swap and it uh, yeah. just go for it. So I had a month with my laptop and I taught myself how to do it, how to get the website going, how to record all of it. I and, love it. Uh, yeah. yeah. And it was like, oh, and really it was less than a month and it was live. And how long ago was that now? That was, I was down there 
uh, Jan Feb. So that was in February, and then I launched March first, last year. Last year. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. That's so many. Yeah, it's been <laughs> in a year. <laughs> I didn't realize that. I thought yeah. it was like at least two years, but okay. yeah, yeah, that's great. No, it's funny. I just kind of thought, oh, this will be a fun little project, and it's like, Carol, this is now your life for so. sure, as it is. <laughs> yeah, as it is. Yeah. How do you choose the people? Really, it's whoever interests me okay. because I think that my listener base is probably in a very similar situation that I am. Like, I love to put on podcasts and work. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. think a lot of people that Wait. contact me, they're listening in their studios. Yes. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> well, I love that we yeah. kick off with you interviewing me. <laughs> Let That's me ask perfect. You another <laughs> That's question. <right>. No. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. Uh, I will probably leave that in. So fun. Uh, but here we are. So we are in Campagnolo. Did I say that right? Downstairs. I think I did. Yeah. Downstairs. And I am the sitting upstairs. here with Penny Lane Shen. Artist whisper extraordinaire. <laughs> I like that. It's a new one. I like that one. <laughs> Yay. Yes. And I have been super excited about getting this chance to sit down and talk with you because first I will tell you how you first came into my life okay. and our listeners. So I went to my first ever Thrive meeting when mm-hmm. I became a Thrive member and uh, which for our listeners is this amazing network of women artists supporting each other. Mm-hmm. And I went to my first meeting and we sat around the table and everybody talked about what was the big amazing thing that happened to them within the last year. Mm-hmm. And a number of people in my group said my life was changed by a consult with Penny Lane Shen. And I'm like, Penny Lane, who? Yeah. And I walked out of that building. It was when they had it in the old building on Main Street. I walked out of the building and I got down outside and I opened up my phone and, uh, and I looked you up and I called you from the sidewalk outside of my first Thrive meeting to no. book a consult. So. You called me on the phone? Uh, or did I book it online? I probably booked it okay. online. <laughs> yeah, you have that You have that button that says yeah. book a consult. And it's like the next available consult is three right. months away or whatever it right. was. And I thought, well, that's going to be worth the wait. Aww. And it was. So I love that story. Thank <laughs> you for sharing that. Hey. Uh. So tell me a little bit about what it is you do. Okay, so I am an artist consultant. And I think that often gets some... Um, confused with the word art consultant which mm-hmm. is which is much more popular I don't even know if artist consultant is necessarily um, a thing yet I'm hoping that it will be but basically I don't uh, I don't sell work which I don't sell artwork I s- help the artist create the work that hopefully will be sold or wherever it will be going so I'm an advisor to artists and that is in whatever they're interested in. So whether that's like professional development and uh, marketing tools, uh, writing, etc. Or it's on just perfecting their practice or finding out who their audience is or honing in on their strengths and identifying their weaknesses and these sorts of conceptual ideas about their practice, making a schedule, just basically a set of informed eyes on the work mm-hmm. and a plan and then from there um, I also have a business that has a group of other people 
great, talented, wonderful people that work with me to do other things that we provide, like websites, takeaway cards, promotional material, writing services, a lot of different types of writing, mm-hmm. art writing. Uh, yeah, and that's what Days and Confucius, the business, does. But right. myself, it's solely the the consults and the workshops. I think you're probably spot on. It's not a thing, and it should be a thing. And it's becoming a thing, thanks to you. How did you end up being in a position where, first of all, you mm-hmm. knew how to do that, mm-hmm. and secondly, people knew that you knew and therefore trusted you to For sure, to yeah. Um, that's a great question. I think that... I have a unique perspective that I've been very, you know, blessed to have. And that is that I kind of am able to have a foot in both worlds. So that being the commercial world, the commercial gallery industry, which is where my background has been in for the past, um, you know, 15 years or so has been in the public and private sector of fine art selling. Mm -hmm. So I started working in galleries pretty much right out of high school. Different types of galleries, again, public, private, nonprofit, um, artist run, etc. And kind of worked my way up the ladder in commercial galleries until in different places. And that gave me a really unique perspective on what trends are, how to sell work, and what is showing what is selling. Mm. And it also gave me a really unique perspective on what artists were doing wrong in terms of um, approaching a gallery. And so I found myself getting a lot of submissions and talking to a lot of artists and working with them and finding that they, you know, even though their work was fantastic, perhaps their approach wasn't right and I would take the time and be able to sort of tell them and I knew that they weren't getting that from other galleries and sometimes they would tell me you know um, thank you so much for either responding or whatever it may be and they've just generally had a really really negative experience with frankly the gallery industry and you know that disappointed me also I noticed that it just wasn't something that they had learned in an undergrad or an art school. Yeah. So that was something that uh, I had hoped would change. And then when I actually started doing the consults and teaching it, so I taught, I taught basically navigating the art industry at uh, Langara while I worked simultaneously at the, um, in the commercial gallery world. While I was doing that, I was traveling to do the seminars and the workshops in different places around the world. And I found that that need was also there in different places around the world. However, the trends in what sells and what shows were totally different. So that was Um, on me to learn the market there. Right. So then like equipped with that knowledge and then just continuing to travel right now quite a bit. I'm away half the year. I'm in different places just doing the consults. I've had to sort of learn what's going on and what what's what's happening for example in Europe and be able to adjust in that way so that if a Canadian artist asks me you know about the market somewhere else I'm able to speak to that as well. I'm able to have a sort of a behind-the-scenes uh, knowledge into what the gallery wants just from being a curator for so long. Right. You know, so that those two things, I think the the traveling and, and the extensive gallery background really inspired me to start, to start the business. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. It's like, I'm sure people who work in galleries always feel, oh, if only I could say X to these mm-hmm. artists and totally. probably feel like they can't say it you know it's kind of like in relationships it's like what do 
you know, men slash women slash whatever really think and nobody can ever say or hear that thing. And it takes that one clear voice to kind of trusted voice to break through and say, okay, here's the straight goods, you know? For sure. Yeah. And I have had, you know, because I was in the gallery scene so long, um, I know, you know, the, the curators even just here, for example, are good friends of mine or whatever they may be. And they'll often say, you know, can you start putting this out there to artists because a lot of our artists are you know they have trouble in this area and mm -hmm. I, I would love it if they could just fix xyz like what kinds of things for, so i'll go back to like writing for example mm -hmm. a lot of galleries will ask artists for their statements i'm talking about right now even artists that are represented by galleries mm -hmm. um, for their exhibition statement or whatever it may be and it's just not great right so yeah. being able to work with some some represented artists to sort of find a clear voice in whatever exhibition they're putting together or you know sussing out the message and you know massaging it so it looks pretty mm -hmm. that's something that uh I work with a lot of artists that are already represented to do yeah yeah or you know just put together like a clear cv or package or whatever it may be that's something that galleries, you know, I feel like are really grateful to have. Yeah. And making things look presentable and professional. Yeah. Not always the same skill set as creating and... Exactly. Or, yeah. you know, artists oftentimes may not even know that that's what the gallery is looking for. And you're exactly right when you say sometimes galleries can't f exactly say, you know, your yeah. artist statement is terrible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So... Or yeah. you're using too much blue. Like or whatever do, it may be. Do, yes, do, do or change it up or yeah. something like that. Yeah, yeah, so I'd say about half the, maybe a little over half of the artists that I work with are represented mm -hmm. or are currently showing in some mm -hmm. gallery setting or some equivalent of a gallery. And they're looking to, I'll usually see them when they're working their, towards an exhibition. Mm -hmm. And... You know, they have a couple of uh, different ideas on the go and whatever it may be. And then I'll see them at that time to see whether, you know, we decide to go with a continuation of an old project or a departure from that or a combination of a little bit of both. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, thinking from the artist's perspective, ideas are never the problem. Mm -hmm. You know, like you just get a million ideas and it switch. Sometimes. It, yeah. Depending on the art. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I suppose. <laughs> but sometimes it's like just narrowing it down to what you follow. And, you know, we turn to the people who usually we can, you know, confer with, like husbands, friends, family, and they don't know. You know, like they can listen and they can try and figure out what sounds like it makes sense, but you know, most, most of the people we're turning to and fellow artists, like we're all in the same yes. boat trying to figure out which way to go. And, and there, it may be a bit of a blind leading the blind yeah. situation yeah. there. It's so helpful in terms of, I think, support and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, words of affirmation and these sorts of things. But sometimes you just need somebody straight up yeah. from the gallery scene and from a, from a good gallery yeah. scene to say, no, this yeah. is bad. This is good. This is working. This is not. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And yeah. And I, would I don't cut any corners with yeah. that kind of thing. I've yeah. had a consult with you. I know that to be true. <laughs> and right. <laughs> yeah. And now you've worked with UBC. You've worked with with uh, Vancouver Hospital with their collections. 
How did you end up in those positions? Yeah, so I worked in the nonprofit sector for quite a while with different auctions, um, different charities. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a Loving Spoonful, um, Splash, Art for Life, etc. Mm-hmm. And then VGH just approached me and said, hey, would you like to come on the art committee with mm-hmm. us and hang work in hospitals? And that's exactly what I wanted to do. And that's sort of what, working towards an event that needed to generate a large amount of money each year, which were the auctions, Mm -hmm. was tough for me. And I didn't know if I'd be in town at those times. And it just, it took a lot of, it took a lot of time and energy that I couldn't necessarily um, dedicate. Yeah. And the hospital, on the other hand, is something that's just constantly, it's ongoing and, you know, I can contribute to it whenever, whenever I can. Yeah. Which I try to do as often as possible. Mm -hmm. And I really care about it. I, I think that if you've ever wandered around BGH or UBC, GF Strong, you'll see a lot of work there. And I hope that it makes a difference because I've spent some time, certainly a lot of, you know, I've spent some time there. I think everybody has. Yeah. And if there's something to look at and something else to do, mm-hmm. that uh, helps a lot in those situations. Yeah. And I do think it kind of brings artwork back to its purpose, you know, to make you feel better. Yeah, I know for me, every time I'm in one of those places and walking through, just knowing a lot of the art community here, it's also, you know, oh, there's there's so-and-so, there's like, it's a real gallery of of who's active in our community and who's who's producing great work. Absolutely, and, yeah. and there's so many wings that you, like public, the mm-hmm. public can't go into, mm-hmm. and it's just for patients and nurses and doctors and workers there yeah. and I think that that's huge that's super important too I think you know actually being in those 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 wings those wards are um artwork artwork is important there too when it's not yeah. on full display yeah but it's just for those people in there yeah whether you like it or you don't it's something else yeah to look at I think the greatest advocate for artwork in hospitals is to see a hospital without any artwork yeah that's a way which is most hospitals yeah no we're lucky and so you can do that and still are you fully like two weeks here two weeks somewhere else you're bouncing generally yeah and what was your last adventure um i'm trying to think of like the last big one in the in the winter time like right Mm -hmm. now i i usually try to stay within a few provinces just because you know in the summertime that's when i can sort of travel and drive further distances or fly further distances to places i like going Mm -hmm. a little bit more not to say that i don't like going to those other places but you know when you're in you know when you're on the islands or the coast or the interior or Mm -hmm. alberta it's just a lot easier to go to so generally between november and february Mm -hmm. i'm within bc alberta and washington Mm -hmm. but you you have taken your services further Abroad. afield yes, yeah yes. So, so give us a little like uh, a little dazzling international string of places that you go where okay we, yeah. yeah so in the summertime I'm in France and Holland in the past before there's been other places like um, Germany for mm-hmm. example yeah and uh, Asia yeah so and is is it all doing artist consults some consults and some workshops workshops yeah. are kind of a big thing there I'll try to do a workshop somewhere mm-hmm. and then from there establish the people to do consults with yeah 
Um, and then we keep in touch via Skype, which I'll do. I do a number of Skype consultations a week. Yeah. Um, and then I go there to see them. So I try to make it so I at least see somebody at least once a year in person. Mm-hmm. And what are the seminars? What happens at a... Yeah. So there's four different types of seminars and they are how it looks, how it sounds, navigating and Outbox. And um, Outbox is on digital things. Mm-hmm. Uh, navigating is a little bit of everything. Navigating the art industry. Mm-hmm. How it sounds is everything to do with art writing right and how it looks is everything to do with presentation framing hanging Mm -hmm. so yeah they're just a kind of a 101 to yeah starting out and how things should look sound and be and so when you're planning a trip like that are you connecting with some kind of art group and yes yeah how does Um, the goal generally is to have the art group contact me <laughs> that is the dream yeah. if, uh, if I can just roll into an already set organization somewhere yeah. or even just a small group of artists or a collective and have them uh, say we're looking we're interested in this we want to do how it sounds and then we want to do a small group co- critique after so small group critique is um, kind of like a speed dating version of six people okay. doing a a mini consult yeah. all in front of each other kind of oh, thing. Oh, wow. That'd be intense. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, I like it a lot, and I, I really want... It's something that I hope to do a little bit more regularly here. I'd love to do small group consults, um, small group critique um, once a week in Vancouver, if yeah. possible. Yeah. And so the 20, each person gets 20 minutes, really, but we go through a series of these three questions. Mm-hmm. And the goal is that you glean information off of the other participants yeah. in it as well, which you inevitably do. Yeah. Having yeah. design school flashbacks. That was exactly like with every project, you'd listen in and you'd get something out of exactly. everyone's critique. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. we go through a series of basically like what's working, what, what isn't working, and then what's the plan for the next six months. Yeah. And so everybody leaves with a little something, but they don't feel... If they don't feel ready for a full consult, like yeah. the full 80 minutes, it's mm-hmm. it's nice. But you also have to be a little bit um, exposed yeah. to with your work to other people, mm-hmm. which is why it's been a bit of um, I'm not sure if it will work here with strangers. Because yeah. with that, it's always been set organizations that right. people kind of know each other. Mm-hmm. That would be but an I interesting... Do think it would be good yeah be a good way to meet other artists yeah and I think once somebody's ready to come and ask for that like okay. if they show up okay. I would think they'd be ready oftentimes I see about 500 500 or so artists a year yeah you know on the consult form on the bottom there it says like other artists you should look at and I'm generally writing other consultees names yeah. on there but maybe if they could meet each other in yeah. some setting that would be great yeah no it's always interesting to get feedback you know you we work in such a bubble mm-hmm. and it's, you know, we can go really far down some rabbit holes and, and uh, when somebody opens your eyes up to something, it can, it can shed a whole new light. So what do you find when you sit down with an artist, what are some of the things that they have trouble kind of letting go of? And what are the things that you just wish you could reach through and open up their brain and have them hear it? Hmm. That's a tough question. I do have like categories of consultees in my mind mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I'd like to hear this <laughs> I don't even know if I should yeah uh, and when I when I set the schedule I try to make it a, a mix of these types so it's not all the same kind of person right. in a day mm-hmm. I do the sandwiching thing where I have yeah you know a little bit of you know three different kinds of people yeah a bread person a lettuce person yeah okay a tomato person <laughs> there are some artists that 
are, you know, they lack the confidence in whatever they're working on. And so they haven't done whatever it is they're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And it is about me saying, well, you know, kind of why haven't you done this? Mm-hmm. And really there is no reason why. Mm-hmm. And then from there we're like, okay, well, I can say everything, but it's up to you to just do it. Yeah. Because if you lose steam or if you become discouraged, that's that. Like, I can't help you with that. Mm-hmm. You know, there are other, and, and really with so much of it. So I joke that my role as an artist consultant is a mix of a financial planner, a football coach, and a therapist, mm-hmm. those three things. And mm-hmm. then so with each consult, sometimes it's more a football coach, and sometimes it's more therapist, and sometimes it's more a financial planner, right? Right. So sometimes with that kind of artist who isn't particularly confident necessarily in what they're doing, it's really just about kind of shaking, shaking them up and lighting a fire and saying, you, if you want this, that's fine, but it's not going to happen until you do until you do x y and z yeah and i don't want to see you until you do x y and z yeah and a lot of that is because they're discouraged or burnt out i don't think that they recognize the things that they have done so that is a lot of the people i see so a lot of the times those consults are me kind of summarizing what they've done in the last year or two and been like, okay, maybe we need to take a step back and have you think about the fact that these things have happened and those are big things. Mm-hmm. And can we just sit in that for a moment and, you know, realize that we've achieved the next rung and wait before we reach for the next one? Right. Right. Uh, so that's a big part of it. Expectation management, but also accomplishment recognition. Yeah. That's a big one. Yeah. The other type of person is kind of the exact opposite where they just don't understand why they're not shown in the Tate Modern right <laughs> okay yeah and so confidence isn't the issue there. no but you know with with any kind of overly confident person confidence is the yeah. issue yeah. right yeah uh for but it's just a different thing and that person mm-hmm. just they resist me quite a bit, even though they're there, even though they continue to see me, yeah. they, they'll fight me on something, which I don't mind. I'm, I'm plenty happy to explain, you know, why I'm saying this, why I'm suggesting that. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, you know, the pattern isn't working. So change up the pattern. Yeah. And this is how you do it. You yeah. know? Uh, so there's that kind of person who is a little bit, um, I call it the, like, if I were in New York, dot, dot, dot kind of person. Yeah. So they're like, well, if I were in New York, I'd be selling, you know, and then you're like, well, why don't you move to New York then? They're like, well, I can't. Uh, my, my cat is here. Yeah. <laughs> I got to take care of my cat. Yeah. You know? Some, some ridiculous reason. Yeah. That, barrier. Yeah, exactly. Self, self-imposed, self-created barrier. And that's yeah. confidence yeah. again. Yeah. So even though they're very confident about that, truly there's something else going on. Yeah. It's about digging in there. Um, and then the rest, you know, there's a good chunk of people who really are just about, um, they're not great at the admin marketing yeah. promo part, which, yeah. hey, like, why would they be? That's not what they're supposed to be good at. Right. But they're they supposed just, to be good at making art, you know? Yeah. And if in an ideal world, we would have, you know, we would have assistants and we'd have a PR person and yeah. we'd have accountants and bookkeepers to do all those things for us mm-hmm. but we don't so we have to learn a few things to do them on our own yeah um so there's a lot of people to do you know yeah. who are in that boat 
And what is the easiest of those three for you? Well, with that camp of people, the mm-hmm. ones that just need sort of the next step, it's yeah. easy because it's about, oh, okay, well, you're on step six, here's step seven. Yeah. Or you're on two, here's three and four. Yeah. You know, if I don't see you again. And that that's easy for me because I just see so many people that it's pretty clear right at the beginning what their next step is. Yeah. And so I'd say that's probably the easiest. I mean, the other ones are the, those ones who have an idea. Mm-hmm. This is my favorite kind. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're really excited about it, but they just have no idea how to manifest it mm-hmm. in their work. And that's when it's really fun. It's like a great problem to solve. It's, yeah. And I'm like, okay, this is what you're going to do right now. After I leave, you're going to go out, you're going to get these materials, we're going to make it happen, yeah. you know, and I want you to send me a picture by the end of the day. <laughs> and it must be such like a that. riot to get those pictures in and, and just be on somebody's journey with them. And It is, it is, it's so fun and it's, it's quite strange actually to see oftentimes to go to the show that sometimes I feel like I've made with that person but not you know of course not they they're the artist but, but for sure to a degree I, I would I could see that yeah, yeah. it's just you know we we came up with this you had this idea and we came up with it together in terms of um you know in it's like Elton John writing that song you know his songs with all with his partner yeah all of them like really he's playing it he's singing it but that other guy is writing yeah. all the lyrics. <laughs> right. In no way am I saying that I'm writing all the lyrics, but it's it's super exciting. And every time there is any type of exhibition or show or or project that an artist has completed that we've worked together on, yeah, I feel like like I'm showing as well, or yeah. or I finished a project. That sounds really, I think, feel like maybe a bit too braggadocious but I don't I don't mean it that way I just mean it's great to see yeah you know that that realized I guess yeah. it doesn't sound braggadocious to me I hope it not. sounds like you, you know it's uh it can be a lonely ride mm-hmm. as an artist and like we talked about you know there's there's lots of people who would love to be there and be involved in it but but it takes somebody who is actually involved in it to to get their hand in there and and I think artists really appreciate having that kind of insight and input for sure and I think you know as you said being an artist is lonely and when I tell people when I tell people one in ten people cry during consults okay and they're crying they're like really and I'm like yes and that makes them feel better (laughs) like that stat and that's because they haven't told anybody about their work or nobody's seen it and nobody's commented on it. Yeah. You know, for better or for worse, like whether I'm saying something good or bad, just Mm -hmm. no one has seen it and they haven't talked about it. And it's so, it's a very um, vulnerable thing to do. Yeah. You know, and they're just alone chipping away at this thing that they hopefully care about. Yeah. And now they're sharing it for the first time. It's a big deal. Right. And really all I have to do is like so tell me about this and waterworks yeah you know you know I, I've done a lot of coaching over the years mm. coaching and training and in different areas but I see a lot of what you're saying and have been on some of these rides and I always find it interesting and I wonder if you experience this in your consults um, a lot of times when you're going through it with people and they'll be like yeah 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 oh I totally get this I'm ah you know like they're they're right there with you 
and then you'll have a conversation with the next person and it just feels like they're not even listening or following along or you know like it's or they're defensive and they're throwing walls up and it took me a long time to figure out that that second group ends up doing it at least as much as the first do you have do you have that experience where people will fake you out a little bit like I do I have maybe it's that second boat I was talking about where they're like if I were in New York dot 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 the ones that really and then I'm like well why are you seeing me then kind of thing yeah but they do end up doing it and then they they you know they're the ones that I see every three months or so they just yeah. keep booking even though yeah. they want to fight me every time on it you know yeah. I'll um, agree they with like you the fight afterwards. I don't know <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> they um I guess they maybe like the like the thrill of the argument or something yeah. but yes they absolutely do and it's just their personality I found and I'll see them again and that's just who they are yeah and they'll noodle on it long after you given them the info I'm sure they're still processing processing and mm-hmm. but yes that kind of person I still have to pair with an easy person yeah that's right I can, yeah. I can see how you schedule yes. your day that yeah. is a ham person and yeah. I have to pair them with a lettuce person yeah <laughs> and save the tomato for set. later exactly <laughs> so even though they do I do see them I tend to get used to them I would prefer it if people sort of came into a consult with a, with a bit more of a an open mind yeah um I mean you want to go in gallery I know gallery yeah. You know? um, and I think, again, that's that unique perspective that I was talking about at the beginning. Like, I've, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm in it. I've been there for a long time. Yeah. The gallery scene. And I think that makes a huge difference because I don't think that other people in this position or other artists or family members are able to say, hey, I've been on the other end selling the work in, in the rat race, you know? Yeah. Like, um, how can you speak t- about something if you haven't been there before, right? Right. Yeah. Right. So you said you were in gallery jobs right out of high school. What, yeah. was, what was your first paid art world job? Yeah. So the first one was at the Blackwood Gallery. Um, and this was in uh, when I was at U of T. So this is my first year of university. And it was in Ontario. And it was a public gallery it showed a lot of really fantastic exhibitions in that were highly conceptual and uh, you know a lot of video and sound and performance works which I think was a really great thing for me at that time to see what could be shown and I still feel that way like yeah my heart is also in the public gallery scene quite a bit even though most of my background at this point has been in commercial yeah yeah so that was my first my first gig so you were at U of T yeah and what was your degree in so I went to U of T and Sheridan simultaneously. Yep. So I was able to do a, a BA in fine arts mm-hmm. as well as a BA in art history, English literature, and visual culture theory, mm-hmm. which is what I ended up doing my master's in afterwards yeah. in New York. Yeah. yeah. And where did you go in New York? I went to NYU. Yeah. And what was that experience like? So it was interesting. I Visual culture theory was what I did the BA part in and it was um, something that was kind of brand new at that time and they were just sort of um, it was becoming a term in my final years of undergrad and I loved it I was really interested in it and you could take it in place of art history courses mm-hmm. it was basically the study of ideas and mm-hmm. how meaning is made mm-hmm. and I immediately loved it so after undergrad I took a year off and worked in the gallery scene. This is now back in Vancouver. Yeah. And 
I flipped over the backs of my textbooks and saw, just sort of did a quick Google on the authors, and it turns out they were all in this one place starting this program that very year. Mm-hmm. And that was at NYU, and mm-hmm. it was in visual culture theory. And so myself and eight other students from around the world, um, we were there that first year. We went and started this two-year program. So it was a new program then? Or? It was a new program. We were the yeah. first two years. And I will say, like, there were a lot of kinks to be worked out yeah. just because it was so multidisciplinary. Mm-hmm. Like, there was somebody from, of course, art, and then another person from gender studies and another one from politics like political science and then another person from cinema studies and then you know another person from race and identity studies Mm -hmm. so it really is all those things and mass consumer media media and communications it's all of those things like how we make meaning basically how images make meaning right um so i focused in on race identity and cinema like, mm-hmm. so that was kind of my, my focus when I was there. You know, my fellow classmates did something completely different. And so that was tough in some ways. It definitely was not like undergrad. Yeah. And as you know, with, with grad school, there's a lot of solo time and a lot of uh, studies on your own. Yeah. yeah. So if you're not sort of driven... That, that can be tricky. And yeah. if you're in New York, it's even trickier. Yeah. And did you find it, like you strike me as somebody who would be very focused and very driven, just watching how you do no. your biz. <laughs> nope. <laughs> now, but, you know, yeah. a 22-year-old yeah. Penny Lane was not that. And I was, um, I think I was driven by, you know, curiosity in the topics mm-hmm. that now I'm driven by anger yeah. in those topics and the anger turns out is way more powerful than the curiosity <laughs> write that down kids yeah, yeah. <laughs> come out swinging yeah use your anger you yeah. know so those again were in things like race gender identity yeah right I was curious about it and it was new to me and I found it I found it interesting like why is this one way for someone and a completely different way for someone else and explore those ideas. Mm-hmm. And I was young, and that's hard to do for two years in a focused, small environment. Right. Where classmates are doing something completely different. Yeah. I mean, again, so in the first year while I was working on my thesis, I changed my thesis topic completely and started again. So that was something that, uh, to give you an idea, wasn't that focused. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like, you know, at that age, you're away from your family, you're in this you know, evolving program. Like it's a, it sounds like it's almost an incubation of a program and you've got to be finding your ground while they're finding theirs. Like that's a lot to throw at a 20 something. For sure. And I think also I'd gone to Toronto, so I was already away for quite a long time. And also, you know, now I'm in this big city and really all I cared about was exploring that city more. Mm -hmm. NYU is spread across the city. There's no campus. There's just random little buildings all over Manhattan and some in Brooklyn. And so I actually think it was the lack of that mm-hmm. incubating kind of system that made it really difficult because right. there wasn't this sort of social camaraderie that you had with your peers. Yeah. That didn't that didn't really happen as much. So yeah. I did feel like there was a bit of floundering yeah. involved. And looking back now and honestly knowing the higher education system quite well because 
from working at the University of the Arts London and yeah. these sorts of things. I think it's a good school and I think education is important. But I think that there is a lot of... I'm trying to put it like delicately. Uh, just let it rip. But it's a, it's a cash grab. Yeah. I think higher education is a cash grab yeah. in many ways. Yeah. And I think that if you want a good education, it's up to you to do it while you're there and yeah. use the people who are there as resources because they are not going to help you as much as you think that they're going to help you. Yeah. And my professors who were, who were literally, nope, not literally. Well, yes, literally they were, they were academic rock stars. Okay. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you, yeah, at that time. So they traveled a lot doing talks. And so they weren't around very much. So they didn't care about you that much, to be, to be frank, right? Yeah. And I, as they shouldn't, they are living the dream, right. you know, preaching the good word to the world. So when you saw them each week, it was like seeing them new each time. And that doesn't really help build that kind of relationship that I was maybe used to in my undergrad or in another situation in life. Yeah. So with the education that you had, like I, I, for whatever reason, thought that your education would be like a, a master's in fine arts. So did you, it makes more sense to me now that you are doing what you're doing. I was wondering if you had gone through the whole art school thing and did you have, did you ever have a moment where you thought, I want to be a studio artist, I want to be a practicing artist. Have you always come at it from more of an academic and business side right so uh i did do my bfa my focus there was in design and photography mm -hmm. over printmaking painting and yeah the rest of the the other guys drawing i enjoyed doing that and it, i learned a lot that's i mean that's it was a really intensive studio practice and i'm grateful to have those skills and from simultaneously working in the art industry it really helped mm-hmm but there was a turning point where I found I liked talking about art more than I liked making art. Right. And maybe more than art itself. Yeah. And I like the meat and potatoes. Mm -hmm. I like the um, nuances and intricacies and what art means and what it stands for. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I mean from the, the prettiest picture mm -hmm. of just your general landscape to you know, a pile of newspapers on the floor. Like I'm, right. I'm interested in both those things. Yeah. And I like talking about those things. So there was a turning point where I felt like, okay, yeah, I like making this okay, but really I like talking about it. Yeah. You know, which and is that, yeah, yeah, that is what led me into, into doing what I do now. Yeah. As you say that, it strikes me that that is, that's an art form, you know, formulating on the fly as you're looking at things and articulating it and you know painting that word picture is as much an art form as being a landscape painter or a, yeah. for sure absolutely yeah. and I think that getting the technical kind of background in it mm -hmm. um, I don't feel like I'm totally unaware when somebody's using certain materials in fact I like I'm a bit of a materials nerd I like talking about materials and yeah. that's from art school for sure. But I know a lot of people have horror stories about about art school. I had a great experience. Yeah. I had a great time. I thought my instructors were just top notch. Yeah. I loved it. So For me, I went to design school. So there was no concept. It was mm. like, 
we're going to learn how to render a room so that you can sit on the sofa yeah. and put a glass down on that table. It was so technical. It was so technical and so void of the other side of things. And it's I always find it interesting talking to people about where they went, what they studied, or if they did. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everything has its value and everything has it has its shortfall. And, yes. Uh, yeah. It's, yes. It's neat that we all kind of end up in this arena by totally. our own route. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I what I said earlier about things being a cash grab, that's just the system, you mm-hmm. know? And I the, the instructors, the education, the writing, the content, all of that stuff I still believe in wholeheartedly. And I'm yeah. a huge proponent for education. Yeah. Huge. A big question I get is like, should I go and get do my MA should I go and sorry my MFA should I go and do my BFA Mm -hmm. and I always say if you're interested in the information and perfecting like and honing your practice yes Mm -hmm. but don't do it for just the uh you know the name or the piece of paper yeah the letters don't do it for that no one cares yeah yeah Yeah, they don't not anymore yeah and I think there's so many different ways to get absolutely information and get educated now like it's kind of and I say do a residency first see if you like it yeah a residency is a great gateway into whether or not you want to do a master's Mm -hmm. I think right now if somebody turned me into a 20 year old again and said here's a pile of money Mm -hmm. you can spend it spending four years at this institution or you can spend it going and doing art residencies all over Europe and South America and Asia I think I know how I would spend the money. <laughs> I would take that money and give it to that person and say, thank you for turning me back into a 20-year-old. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I will See give you again you in any, 20 years. Yes. <laughs> I will give you any amount of money. What I do you want? Know. I don't know if I'd go back there. That's, uh, it can be an angsty time. I don't want to go back there as that person. I want to yeah. go back there as my oh, regular okay. self right now. Sign me up. <laughs> yes. You can keep your travel. You can keep your school. Yeah. I'll go back with you. Exactly. <laughs> Let's go to New York. Exactly. <laughs> I wanna, basically, I want to keep my exact same self. I just want to be zapped into a 20-year-old's yeah. body. <laughs> That's going to be possible at some point. <laughs> I hope so. I hope when I'm 90 and yeah. I'm like, all right, okay. Yeah. If they would hurry, that would be good. <laughs> you, you've got this very cool life. Flying around, you're, you're doing these seven seminars, people are listening to you, they're getting a ton out of it, you're having an impact on the work that you see in galleries. And so you mentioned Dazed and Confucius. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit more about what happens there. Sure. So Dazed and Confucius is the business name for everything that I'm doing and as well as what uh, my employees are doing. So that covers services that very much include like the professional development tools. So everything that I talk about in the seminars people were asking me like well you know who can I get to do this or you know is this good enough or how about printing that or this web thing like and then you know eventually I was like okay well I should find a way to package these in some ways for these people if they if they need it Days and Confucius provides those services right yeah so people call up they need help with their website they need help with their CV they need they need to be branded, basically. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And that's it. Or they're, you know, um, applying for a grant or a proposal. They need an exhibition statement or they need editing. It's generally, I will say, most of the work we do with writing is generally ghostwriting. Mm-hmm. So we've ghostwritten hundreds and hundreds of statements for artists. Yeah. For yeah. various, various things. Yeah. I, li- I like doing that quite a bit. Mostly I have, I have a team of writers that I assign to each 
person based on knowing that person. So you can't get a piece of writing done until you have a consult because mm-hmm. I need to know you and right. then I need to pair you up with the right kind of person. Right. Yeah, we ghostwrite it. Okay. So these ghostwriters are off in their own lair somewhere. You connect them with the artist or is there like a dazed and confucius hive with a bunch of people hovering over keyboard there's a dazed and confucius hive okay (laughs) okay and how many people are there what's going on there so there are five writers there and part-time and they're usually just on a contract kind of basis yeah right the end i review everything and then uh i do have someone who works with me much more full-time and he does a lot of the web work that's based off of um, custom designs that I've put together mm-hmm. and it's a the Days and Confucius method and he was a consultee mm-hmm. as well many moons ago but also continues to do the consultations yeah. and he's sort of you know I mentioned that step one to ten kind of thing yeah. he's he reached ten quite a long time ago yeah um, and now we sort of just work on um, whatever comes up for him and he's been working with me for quite a while and now to the point where I've sort of brought him into the fold and in this next year so 2019 I'm hoping that he will be a second a second Penny Lane right (laughs) (laughs) maybe with a different name tag yes maybe or maybe Penny Lane too I don't know we'll see Lenny Payne Lenny Payne um and so I hope David is his name (laughs) will uh be able to facilitate consults as mm-hmm. well because he he definitely can at this point and he's been sort of shadowing me for a while and I do think a lot of the introductory kind of consults should should be with him yeah first that's an interesting thing because what you have is very unique and in any business you want to be able to replicate it and you want to be able to have some kind of plan to for you to move into the next frontier and have that keep chugging away behind you right Mm -hmm. and what is that next frontier for you like if you can Lenny Payne Mm -hmm. (laughs) if David has has his hands (laughs) on there and you've got these writers who are all kind of tuned in and, and doing it the way that you like and it frees you up to move in a new direction what is it yeah you mean besides like grow the fempire? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I would say I would really like to be able to to have small group consults be the thing that I do, mm-hmm. and occasionally the consults, and work and focus on just traveling for the workshops mm-hmm. and for the consults abroad, and have David here or somebody, or possibly even myself in a much more um, efficient way mm-hmm. take on the bulk of the consultations yeah. and the work here I'd really like to be able to grow a little more and be in other places yeah. a little bit more have my presence in other places a little bit more established yeah. than it is I've always been quite cautious with with my goal setting mm-hmm. <laughs> because I really Just like not to with see anybody them. else's no. no no then I'm like reach for the stars <laughs> But for me, I'm like, yes, just <laughs> reach for the ceiling. Don't herniate yourself reaching for the top. Reach for the middle. No, just just for me. Um, only because I I am very goal-oriented, so I do like to reach goals that I I set. Yeah. Um, so I do like to have them somewhat reachable. Mm-hmm. And I, I would like to see that happen. I mean, Days and Confucius has kind of plateaued a bit in terms of... Um, the number of consults I can facilitate in a day. Yeah. I just can't. And I feel like that's becoming a problem. You know, when something 
that's worked for you forever is now working against you. Yeah. And then the system is broken and you have to kind of reinvent it rather than trying to fix it. Yeah. That's what's going on. Yeah. Or it's a call to shift. That's a call to shift. Yes, exactly. And yes, I could do this forever, you know, but if I really want it to expand and grow, it will mean me not doing something that I really like to do, which is meeting with people. Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to see where you take it next and how that goes. Like the idea of the group consult intrigues me as an artist. Like I'd I'd be in there and I can think of a whole bunch of people who would probably be right there with me. So I love it. How how would you feel about seeing somebody that's not me? You know, really, like I know you, I was inspired by sort of the the myth, the legend, you know, but (laughs) I think that by the time you sit down with somebody in a few minutes, you know, if it's working for you, really, I think that initially people are probably, you know, they hear a story like I did and they get all excited. But I think that by nature, we're more self-centered. And by the time we sit down and start to feel like somebody is giving us something, we forget about that and we're right there with it. So yeah, I think if somebody is trained in the same way, thinks in a similar way, brings their own magic to the table. Yeah, I would. I'm just not that faithful, I think is what I'm saying. Okay. Okay. I like it and I don't like it. Um, Like like I think if it came through you, Mm -hmm. they'd be aware like, is this working? Isn't this working? And as soon as they felt like it was, I think they'd relax into it. Yes. And of course, you know, he brings something that I, I, I don't in other ways yeah. as well. Yeah. It reminds me what you just said about um, for a long time before I did Days of Confucius full time. It was always part time. It's been part time for ages now. But when I decided to quit the gallery, mm-hmm. that was a really big step for me. And it was something that I had never done. I was so tied to it because I felt that I needed it. Yeah. Um, not in any other way, not financially, not in any other way other than by name. Because I pretty much just, I did not think people would listen to me if I didn't have, if I wasn't at the gallery. Right. Working at that moment. Yeah. You know? Well, it is a huge part of it and it is actually, I think, the a good part of the crux of much of my, the advice I'm giving. No one ever asks about it no one knows most people don't care and have never (laughs) like don't even know anymore that that is you know something that I was associated with for quite a long time because as you said when they start going you know when they start talking about something Mm -hmm. nothing else really matters except yeah what we're talking about at that very moment yeah and what's in it for them and what's in it for them and how it can help and however yes exactly however way I can help with that doesn't really matter how I came to that conclusion yeah it's interesting just for me for example when I first went online to to look for a consult Hmm. it didn't occur to me what else you did the Mm -hmm. thing that uh, the (laughs) thing that was interesting to me was you know word of mouth Mm -hmm. and it took a long time to be able to get a consult Mm -hmm. and that just told me she's busy she's in demand and therefore it's super likely that she has something to offer Mm -hmm. that for me was Mm -hmm. was a big part of it and yeah I think that like I said people are thinking about themselves and their path way more than their thinking through through the history of 
of how, how you arrived where mm-hmm. you arrived. Absolutely. And yeah. When they get that, they get that idea that somebody can reach through their fog and help steer them in the right direction. That's like, yes, please. Absolutely. For sure. Yeah. Good. I'm yeah. glad to hear it. So for artists who do have the opportunity to sit down with you, they get the appointment, they're excited, they're in their studio, they're, you know, mentally prepping. What, what do you think is most helpful for them to bring to the table? Like, what should they be looking for? Where are they going to get the most impact? And, and how do you want them to approach it? The pre-consultation form is like sort of where everything starts. And that asks like a little series of questions that just gives me a tidbit into their world. And I kind of can glean quite a bit of information just off of that. So that helps me a lot. Um, and then this is for just new people, of mm-hmm. course. Um, and then if they come in and they're, so they come in and see me now. I, that's been something that has changed over the last little while. Like they come into the, the office rather than me going to them. And that has been something I'd like to address because I think a lot of artists n- feel like I need to see their studio and their work. Mm-hmm. And instead of me, them sending me pictures or bringing a piece in. But I think what artists need to know is that like I've seen a lot of work. Yeah. You know, like I get it. I know what acrylic on canvas looks like. It's not going to, you know, Blow break, your mind. Yeah, break the mold <laughs> and be like, what is this crazy stuff? <laughs> Call the galleries. Exactly. <laughs> Quick, get the Tate Modern on the phone. Yeah. Um, so I think understand that pictures will do. Mm-hmm. And if you bring, you know, a couple of little pieces in, I get it. Mm-hmm. I've seen it before. Like I, unless you take the worst photos ever, be cool with that. I get it. I know I know what the work looks like. Mm-hmm. I think another thing is like to have some questions or any kind of topics that you want to talk about prepared. And that is also part of the pre-consult form so that we can spend our, you know, our time together in the most efficient way. That is the best way rather than being like, well, you know, I don't really know. Da, 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 and then I, that's fine. And I can come up with something. But if you really, you know, want, um, want the best kind of, consultation possible it's great to have a few things in mind not everything planned to the t but a few things in mind right. i guess the third thing is to be open-minded right um right. you know you've come it's not going to i'm not going to say do this and you'll be a super famous artist and have a million dollars but it is just it's part of the process i think the last thing i would say is to be um, vulnerable you know with me and that it is private and it is always um just you know, let yourself kind of be open mm-hmm. to whatever, whatever you want to say, whatever you want to talk about. Um, while I'm not a life coach by any means, and I really try to stray away from mm-hmm. anything that has to do with the word, really cannot tell you what to do with, with your life. Right. I'm trying to figure my own out. Like, <laughs> I can't tell you about that. I'm yeah. s- brass tacks. Yeah. yeah. Brass tacks, art stuff. <laughs> um, I do like it when people have just tell me like, look, this is the way it is. I'm unhappy about this. I'd like to change that. I'm happy with this. How can we make that work? Right. You know, so just be a little bit more vulnerable, a little bit more, um, a little bit more exposed. Yeah. And prepared and honest. It sounds like. And honest. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And, uh, just to be, just expect that like, look, you know, this 60 to 80 minutes is not, going to necessarily change your life. I hope it does, mm-hmm. but that is something that uh, is a tune-up. It's maintenance. Yeah. 
And for the artist in their studio right now who's listening and isn't in a position or in a geographic position to sit down and have a consult with you, Mm -hmm. what's one piece of advice that you see needed most often in, say, an emerging artist? So... Firstly, anybody geographically can have a consult with me <laughs> via Skype. Yeah. Um, very possible. There are six of them a week. Mm-hmm. I would say that I would start to value your time and what you're doing mm-hmm. as something, like to treat it like work, a right. business, and to start sort of banking hours mm-hmm. that you're putting towards uh, making the work. So when you're going in, don't do other things. Just do that thing, you mm-hmm. know, as though you're working a shift. Punch in and punch out. Right. Right. And yes, you need time to let the creative juices flow. So that is part of the, the punching in and punching out part. Mm-hmm. Computer time, when you're posting on Instagram or whatever it may be, that's part of your artist job. But to start really treating it that way. So if you're putting in a nine to five or a three to midnight kind of thing, treat it like now it's part of your life. It is not something that you're doing part-time or for fun it is now just your life now it's part of it yeah you know and you can't not do it sorry you just yeah. can't not do it yeah that sounds like the thrive mantra do the work oh do the work <laughs> yeah and also I think yeah. it's important to think of things that aren't making art as work uh-huh. very much so so again the, the Instagram posting the research if you're even if you go on a trip and you're just looking around and you know being inspired by other things, making notes about those kinds of things, having a personal moment to sort of uh, recap the day. Those are part of it. That is work. Mm-hmm. So doing the work, that's part of the work. It's yeah. not just actual like brush to canvas or whatever it may be. Yeah. Just incorporating it fully, making it your focus and being a professional, right? Absolutely. Like what yeah. is part of your art practice? You yeah. know, it's, it's your life now. So yeah, it's, it's a, a cheesy line, but it's not a job it's a lifestyle yeah so which is so I mean it's maybe it's true in a whole bunch of fields but yes. it sure is true in this one yeah and yeah. you know like you as an artist you are constantly inspired by other things if you're yeah. you know in insurance you're probably not constantly inspired by something yeah. right but as an artist you know be aware that it doesn't turn off right I love that part of it <laughs> yeah good yeah it's, it's it's the good part and it's sometimes the tough part yeah. about being an artist for like, sure for sure. It just all is. Yeah. So, Penny Lane, your work takes you on the road, all these cool places, and I'm a little envious, but I think it's fantastic. Your work uh, takes you to all these different oh, places. That's Are right. you kidding? Okay, good. Okay. <laughs> I feel better about myself. And they're now. hot places. I'm going to like super cold places. <laughs> but you're out there on the road, you're doing all these cool things. The show is called Two Artists Walk Into a Bar. And usually at this point, I ask for a punchline or some kind of art-related joker story. But I would love to hear some wild tale of Penny Lane on the road. Like, what happens when you're out there doing your thing? Okay. Um, this might not be as wild as, as you're looking for, Carol. <laughs> but um, hopefully it'll do. Um, so whenever I'm in L.A. for work, it's now become like a tradition. I have to touch or hold an Emmy at some point because it has <laughs> been something that's happened just uh-huh. by coincidence the last few times and I'm there about twice a year for work and the very first time was I was there a few years ago at my local 
favorite dive bar, the R Bar. It's in Koreatown. And they were having their karaoke night. Just your standard seedy little bar. Yeah. You know, mostly empty, a couple of the regulars around. And suddenly this group of people come in and they're dressed really well. And they're all holding these boxes that are a really strange shape, right? Like maybe like eight by eight by 20. Uh And then my friend and I are trying to guess, uh, you know, what could possibly be in them because they're these black boxes. And then they're like, okay, you know, we're guessing like a a human arm and like you <laughs> I was know, I was roses. leaning I was going to roses yeah like, roses I like that you yes. came up with arm first <laughs> arm, and also like a trumpet and maybe they're a set of you know trumpeters or yeah whatever maybe clarinet band. and then eventually I go up to one I'm like what's in those boxes and he's like you want to know what's in the, these boxes a freaking Emmy and then he pulls it out and then I just start screaming so any uh, chance I get to scream I'm screaming yeah. I'm waving my arms and so they all pull them out and turns out they're like cast and the the voices of the show Bob's Burgers Oh, yes. Fun. And um, and Archer, that's the same yeah. same people. Yeah. And I guess they had just one that night. Wow. So they were celebrating in this little kind of unknown bar, right, to have a good time. So we ended up having quite a debaucherous evening of singing and these different things. And there's a, a picture of me where I'm just holding like six of these Emmys oh, and just, right you know, with the, the happiest I've ever been. Yeah. And singing like various ridiculous songs you know like living on a prayer with (laughs) with this this cast of Bob's Burgers and then the next couple times I go back I realize that's actually not a big deal (laughs) and everybody in LA has is somehow involved in the film industry and probably has a couple and he's kicking around like the backseat of their car with like a Chipotle bag (laughs) Um, but the the Emmy itself I find out like the little piece of paper that says your name on it that actually comes separately in an envelope with a mini screwdriver that says emmy's screwdriver and four little tiny screws and you have to screw it in yourself the the material is so soft on the emmy that you can just yeah you could easily do that and everybody gets one and every other one you have to buy for $500 and those boxes uh, you have to buy for $200 and yeah. these sorts of things because otherwise I have no idea what you'd carry it in maybe like a you'd bring like a pillowcase or something <laughs> <laughs> or like a plastic bag yeah talk about earlier you know higher education being a markup yeah the Emmys is a markup yeah. a little pay to play <laughs> yeah exactly I have to buy now you know yeah, $10,000 worth of Emmys for the rest of the cast. Yeah, and just a small fee for the screwdriver yeah, at the end. Fee. Yeah, exactly. We'll just take one screwdriver and yeah. screw them into the rest of them. But it's just cheap material. I don't know. It yeah. really goes to show that uh, some things like really are just tokens, right? They're yeah. not. They're really worthless. Yeah. But how, like, how fun for you to get a peek in that box and yay. But how fun for them? Like they think they're going to walk into this bar... And celebrate with, and you know, who knows? It's their big moment, and somebody has the spiciness to walk up there and, oh, yeah. and give them that moment of oh, recognition. Yeah. So, for sure, I'm yeah. definitely your number one hype girl yeah. for whatever. Good for hyping. Yeah, I, I yeah. do. <laughs> I they, really put on a show. So they made your night. You made theirs. I hope so. <laughs> that I was probably so. the second best thing that happened to them all yes. night. <laughs> so yeah, LA listeners, if you have an Emmy, Penny Lane would like to touch it (laughs) next time I'm in town that's the best thing we could end on right there
Penny Lane wants to touch your Emmy. That's going to be the little clip that I put in the front yeah? of the episode. Penny- <laughs> touch your Emmy. First, go get an Emmy somehow. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. If you don't have one, don't call. Yeah. No, no, don't. Find the softest, cheapest material yeah. and make an Emmy out of it. <laughs> Yay. Well, thanks for coming down to play with me. This has been really fun. Thank and, you, uh, Carol. Yeah. No, I loved uh, loved hearing your tales. And oh, I'm going to be excited to share this with our listeners. So cheers. Cheers. Yay. You've been listening to Two Artists Walk Into a Bar. I'm your host artist, Carol McQuaid. For full show notes and all the links, head to twoartistswalkintoabar.com. If you liked the episode, remember to subscribe, sign up for updates, and leave us a review. And if you loved the episode, head to twoartistswalkintoabar.com and buy us our next round. Cheers. <laughs>